Hey everyone, John here. Just a quick word of warning. Uh, we will be spoiling this film in its entirety, so if you have not seen this film and you don't want it spoiled for you, uh, just hit pause real quick and go and watch the movie and then come back and enjoy the show. You're trying to shake me down, Henry. I'm just a messenger here, for. You met our... Welcome to another episode of Surviving Chick Flicks, Manly Movie of the Month Edition. Woo! There was much rejoicing. And there was much rejoicing. So this is uh, something that we had planned on doing from the beginning. And the original idea was to make this a Patreon-only show. And... I kind of got to the point where I was like, no, I kind of want to get these episodes out there now. So instead of making this Patreon, we're just adding this to the regular feed. So I'm adding work <laughs> to, to my load every week. Uh, well, once a week, once a month. So, And uh, we're actually kicking... And what these films are are going to be just films that don't qualify as a chick flick, which... If this is your first episode, please go back and listen to any of the other episodes um, before starting this one, Because even though we're going to be treating this the same. But a chick flick is any film that has a strong female lead, is pandering to women, or is written or directed by a woman. And with the Manly Movie of the Month, it's movies we wanted to talk about that do not fit any of those criteria. And... This week, uh, there are strong females in this movie, but there's no amount of uh, convincing Sammy or I could do to make this a chick flick. So, and this is Sammy's pick. So, Sammy, assuming they didn't read what uh, they downloaded, what movie are we talking about this week? Lawless. I'm not gonna lie; it was weird whenever you put that one on the schedule, and then you explained that your reasons why. I was like, okay, I get it now, because. To me, this is very much a, a guy movie. So, oh, I love it. I, was, I mean, yeah, this is a regular watch for me. All right. Well, we'll get into that uh, here in just a second. Why don't we play the trailer and then we'll we'll talk about maybe the most uplifting film that John Hillcoat made with Nick Cave. We'll we'll get into it. You'd like to come for a ride with me sometime. I know who you are. Oh, yeah? Who's that? One of them Bond Grant boys. Mm-hmm. My daddy says you boys are the worst thing ever to hit Franklin. You tell your daddy I said hi. We got a chance to make a good stack of money here. Pure corn whiskey. It's a white lightning. Come on, Forrest. See you dance. I ain't dancing for you two. Uh, come on. It's impressive. I respect you, Bond Rest. You want any more of this stuff? As much as you can bring me. That's $2,000. Minus my commission. 
look at you, swarming around like you're Al Capone. They say in town you're looking for someone to help out around the place. Well, Mr. Bondrin, do I get the job? Seems you've been involved in certain illegal activities. There's a new special deputy. Been brought in from the city. Wants to work it out so everybody can do some business. That's all. I'm the one who's going to make your life real difficult from now on if you don't toe the line, country boy. I'm a bond around. We don't lay down for nobody. Those men that attacked you, they work for dangerous people. There's a feeling around these parts that these Bondurants is indestructible. Do you mean immortal? <laughs> you any idea what a Thompson submachine gun does to a mortal? We are survivors. We control the fear. But without the fear, we are all as good as dead. This is a war they're waging. You ain't gonna survive. It is not the violence that sets men apart. It is the distance that he is prepared to go. All right, Lawless, starring... Actual cannibal Shia LaBeouf, Tom Hardy, Jason Clark, Jessica Chastain, Guy Pierce, Gary Oldman, Mia Wasikowski, Dane DeHaan, with Lou Temple and Noah Taylor, written by Nick Cave and directed by John Hillcote. So, usual question, Sammy, when was the first time you saw this movie? Um, I'm not entirely sure, but I'm I'm pretty sure I saw it in theaters for the first time actually so I think I saw it when it came out okay so I'm showing that this movie came out on August 29th 2012 that was the US theatrical release date and assuming that was the wide release date I saw it sometime between that day and like September 1st in theaters <laughs> yeah I think I'm so too of, yeah I'm one of those people that if a movie comes out at the either interested in or reviewing, I, I'm going to go see it opening weekend. It's rare that I wait a week or two to see a movie after, you know, like after that opening weekend. Although I did that with Shazam. I'm, two or three weeks into that run. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if I had done the same thing because if I remember, I think that I was really, actually really anxious to see this movie. I think I had seen previews for it, and this was a movie I really wanted to see, so I probably saw it pretty quickly. Yeah. I I know I saw the trailer for it and wanted to see it. Uh, not for anyone necessarily on screen, but for the people behind the scenes, particularly Nick Cave and John Hillcoat, because they made one of my favorite Christmas movies called The Proposition. Oh. Yeah. And it is a movie set at Christmas. But it's also one of the most violent westerns I've ever seen. <laughs> And it's fitting, you know, because Nick Cave, his, you know, he's a musician. He's one of my favorite musicians. But even like a love song from Nick Cave is a, at least a little violent. <laughs> but 
Um, if you've never seen the proposition, it is a Western set around Christmas in the Australian outback. And it is easily one of the most brutal films I've ever sat through. Like there were moments I, I kind of had to like deeply sigh because I was just like, Jesus, this is rough. So whenever I say this movie is uplifting in comparison, I'm trying to make that point very clear because um, in the proposition, there is a scene where a character is being whipped uh, for something he did. And he's supposed to get like, I don't know, 50 lashes. And the way Hillcoat directed it is, is very great and very, you know, it, it's very well done. But you're just seeing like the slow mo of the whip hitting the guy, and uh, the uh, the people watching it just be horrified, and like the blood like starting to pool beneath them. So you're like, okay, surely he's getting into the end of this, and it's like the person counting the lashes is like twenty, and you're just like, Jesus. <laughs> and to spoil the and to spoil that moment. Even the guy doing the whipping is just like, "This is fucked, mate. I'm not. I'm not doing this anymore." <clears throat> John, why mm-hmm. are you intent on ruining Christmas? <laughs> I'm not. I'm just looking for move from additional movies to add to the month of December. You are trying to ruin Christmas, and I just don't understand why. But if I can find it now, since we've switched things up, for those of you that don't know. Um, as we come into as we come into this new year, when we get back to the holiday season, we're going to do um, a little bit of do it a little bit different. And instead of John choosing all the movies for October and me choosing all the movies for December, I'm going to get two movies in October, and he's going to get two in December. And I'm going to choose the two girliest horror movies or Halloween themed movies I can possibly choose. In a way, I welcome this challenge, and in another way, I'm absolutely terrified of what you're going to pick. Also, I keep teetering back and forth on putting my favorite Christmas movie on the list, which is White Christmas, and it doesn't get more cheesy than that. It's true. White Christmas is yeah. a good movie, though. It is. It's a very good movie. It, well, it, it starts strong. And it ends strong, and in the and those two things are so good, it makes up for how convoluted the middle is. Speaking of which, I realized that I was totally wrong. Not only I've seen more than one black and white film. I not only saw Schindler's List, I've also seen It's a Wonderful Life. Oh, okay. Yeah, so well, you I was wrong. Away with the colorized version of that one. <laughs> yeah, but I was. I was completely wrong. Yeah. Um, well, and I and I forgot. To, uh, there was something I forgot to mention from the last episode as well. Ben Affleck. What was it? <sighs> the movie needed more Ben Affleck. So, guys, we're going to start a bingo. <laughs> we already have the drinking game. <sighs> and Ben Affleck's definitely going to be on the bingo cards. Yeah. And after this episode, we're probably going to have Tom Hardy on the bingo card. <laughs> <laughs> or, or Jessica Jastain. One of the two. Okay, so speaking of which, that kind of gets into my first thing about this movie. I think it's really funny because I I made a note as as I was watching the movie that it is incredible. Like you know the level of talent in this movie. 
that I constantly forget that Gary Oldman is even in it. Mm-hmm. Like I couldn't remember that he was a part of this movie, and he's 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 an incredible actor. He's my brother's favorite, actually. Um, and for him to just kind of like he didn't fade into the background, but for me to forget about his character. Yeah. Um, so, but after I, I watched our last the movie, he's, not, he's just not that into you. I rewatched uh, Tony Scott's uh, True Romance, which that entire I mean, you know, it's based on a Tarantino movie, and it's one one of the Tarantino scripted films I've watched not as often as I probably should because I kind of forget how awesome that movie is and. There are that movie is filled with like so many A-listers, and Gary Oldman's one of them who is in this movie for like five minutes, but you don't forget them by the time the movie's over. You're just talking about how awesome they were whenever they showed up, and yeah, it was it was on the rewatch where I'm like, like, what does Gary Oldman even have to do in this movie? And you know, he he does end up being sort of mildly important but you could have cut that character and for the most part you know told the same story right um you know it's it's interesting there was i've seen this movie a lot but there's just so many things about it i didn't know um this time i don't know if you found it but i found the boring history lesson uh, my mom was looking it up while we were watching it because it's it's based on a true story, but it's not just based on a true story. It's based on a book called The Wettest County in the World. But it was actually written by Shia LaBeouf's character, uh, Jack Bondurant, his grandson. Because yeah. his, dad, his dad grew up there and his his dad had talked about... Well, no, he, he had been around his grandfather too. And he said his grandfather kind of scared him because he was so he was so quiet. Well, and Shia LaBeouf was your grandfather when you'd be too scared to? Yes, yes, I would. Um, but it does some interesting things with the timeline, too, which we can get into later because it's more relevant to the end of the end of the story. But this cast is so good that they can afford to have some of these like A-listers just sort of play minor characters. Yeah, well, and... Guys like Oldman really are character actors. They just ended up, you know, doing a lot of movies where they were the lead or one of the leads. So um, Gary Oldman has shown up in some of the weirdest places. There was this uh, Fox sitcom called Greg the Bunny, where and it was based in a world where puppets and humans, you know, kind of just cohabitated the planet together. And... <laughs> Oldman, good sport that he is, um, was doing an audition for, like, I don't remember if it was a play or, like, a Shakespeare production or a Shakespeare film, but this character, Warren the Ape, was auditioning for Gary Oldman, and it's just like, "Mm, you are the best sport in the world. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, before we... You know, before we get into, like, who all's in this movie and everything, and I end up on my... You said I had to keep it to a 15-minute diatribe about Tom Hardy. Um, Do you want to briefly talk about what the movie's about? 
Um, it's about moonshine, basically. Um, this is kind of the hillbilly godfather or the hillbilly Scarface, really, because um, it is about uh, the Bondurant brothers, um, Forrest, Howard, and Jack. Uh, Forrest and Howard run a moonshining business, and they're bootleggers. They you know they brew their own hooch and they take it across candy lines. And at the beginning of the movie, they're able to you know not, not necessarily bribe the sheriff, but the sheriff is buying stuff off of them. And Guy Pierce is special deputy. Charlie Rakes looking all of okay. Uh, <laughs> side note: Guy Pierce is in this movie, and he looks entirely like Bob Geldof at the end of Pink Floyd's The Wall. Like whenever his character becomes a fascist dictator. <laughs> I, I know I, the I, shaved I, the shaved eyebrows did something extra. There, there's something okay. There's something about people that have no eyebrows or just you know eyebrows that are so light it looks like they have no eyebrows that is, com- that is completely unsettling uh, and, but I just keep kept waiting for him to break into the second version of In the Flesh from the wall it's just like eh. I but, know but he did such a good job oh he did he <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and make my shitty joke now because uh, there's an elephant in the room we're not addressing yet, but there's a moment where he beats the living shit out of Shia LaBeouf, which is something I would like to see in real life, but because, you know, he's not a good person. <laughs> but, but Guy Pierce is such a good actor, he made me feel bad <laughs> that he was beating up Shia LaBeouf. It's so sad, too, because... You know, there's very few, like, child actors that have come out of the Disney Channel world, right, and actually really been able to do quality work, right? Like, they had a ton of talent, and Mm -hmm. I would not, like, back when even Stevens and all that stuff was going on, I wouldn't have guessed necessarily that he would be one to do that, but then he started doing, you know, he started doing feature films, and he's so talented. Yeah, um... I didn't know him from even Stevens. Like I knew of that show, but you know, I was in college, so I wasn't really watching that show. We're not going to talk about um, my weird high school years watching uh, Kim Possible, <laughs> but um, yeah, my my first exposure to Shia was he popped up in. Uh, Constantine with Keanu Reeves. He was the cab driver that took Constantine anywhere he needed to go. So that's how I met Shia LaBeouf in a eh, movie that doesn't quite get the credit I think it deserves, but it's still not perfect. That makes any sense? Yeah, it, it just, it is. It's... It's sad because he had a lot of potential, but he's kind of also a little bit um... a terrible person. <laughs> you said it, I didn't. Um... Uh, <laughs> so I mean, come, I don't know. Come All after I'm me, Shia is... LaBeouf. I have a bear trap waiting. <laughs> All I'm saying is, who would have guessed that Zac Efron and his start in High School Musical? 
would be the most accomplished person to come out of the Disney Channel and also not crazy. As far as we can tell. As far as we know, you know, cut cut to Tamara trending on Twitter. We find out he is also a cannibal. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I can handle that. You know, if it hadn't been for the uh, whole world being on fire uh, for a couple of weeks, that whole army hammer cannibal thing would have been a lot bigger of a story. It's just now starting to be. Oh, God. (laughs) All I'm saying is I'd like to start a movement to protect Zac Efron from, um, you know, going insane or being tarnished in any fashion because I just don't think we can handle it. Look, if if Zach Avron can survive the Baywatch movie, I think <laughs> like the, the, like Zach Efron and the Rock, two of the most beloved people in Hollywood, uh, came out of that movie relatively unscathed. Like it didn't even phase their career. You know, I did kind of low key, kind of don't hate that movie. Can we just put Zach Efron, the Rock, and Keanu Reeves in a bubble somewhere? I thought you were going to say in a movie together, and I'm just like, oh, what's that going to be like? Uh, um, anyway, so back to oh, the but original no, I, can't, I can't wait, though. I cannot wait for you to watch the Zac Efron Nicholas Sparks movie that I have in store for you. <sighs> <sighs> Uh, I don't know how I'm going to get my revenge, but I feel like I have to start planning. Anyway, so back to the plot, uh, Guy Pierce comes into town and he's wanting to basically shut down the whole moonshining business and, uh, that does, and a lot of the different moonshiners make deals to kind of keep out of trouble to try to start, you know, try to keep doing their business as best as they can. And the Bondurants are like, nah, nah, fuck that. We're just going to keep doing. And there's the whole family legend that the Bondurant brothers are invincible. And good Lord, this movie tests that theory. (laughs) Uh, Yes, it does. Yeah. Like the only one who doesn't get like majorly injured, except for maybe at the end is Jason Clark as Howard. But to a degree, it's but to a degree, it's true. Um, I, I know there was a, at least at the end that was partially true. There was a shootout. Jack did get shot, and I th- yeah. think I think I Forrest think all did three too. Of but them I'm, got... yeah, oh, I can't remember. Forrest, there are there are at least two instances in this movie. You know, one about halfway through the movie, and one at the very end where I'm like, well, he's clearly dead. No, he's not. Yeah, okay, let me talk about that for just a second, because I very much Mm -hmm. remember, because by this point, I, okay, no, I take it back, I do know the first movie I ever saw him in, so, um, by this point, I knew who Tom Hardy was, like, I'm fairly confident Mm -hmm. saying he was probably the reason I went to go see this movie, um, I saw him in Inception for the first time. Yeah, by the time I'd seen this movie, I had seen, um... Tom Hardy completely naked. Ooh, what movie? It, 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 okay, he did a, 
<laughs> okay. He did a movie called Bronson where he plays a notorious uh, British prisoner serving a life sentence um, who changed his name to Charlie Bronson because he thought it would make him sound harder. And he, <laughs> there is a point in the movie. Um, the, I watched the movie because the guy who made Drive and Neon Demon and uh, the Pusher trilogy, Nicholas Winding Refn, he made that movie. Um, and, and, and by that point I was, a, I was a fan of him. So, cause whenever I saw Bronson for the first time, I just knew Tom Hardy as the puck, the Picard clone in Star Trek nemesis. So, which he has grown leaps and bounds as an actor since then. Um, but, well. but real quick, let me get on Bronson. Uh, there is a, he stages a prison riot. And he holds a uh, guard hostage. He is completely naked and tells the guard to grease him up before a fight. It's a very dark, very twisted, almost comedic at times film. But it's where I was like, where I truly learned Tom Hardy is a great actor. He's phenomenal. Yeah. Unfortunately, whenever he gets in, like, you know, goes to work with, like, Christopher Nolan, he's usually in, an, <laughs> in a role where he's, like, mumbling or hard to understand. Like, Hollywood makes me require subtitles for Tom Hardy, but outside of that, he, you know, I, I kind of prefer him outside of his blockbuster work whenever he's doing stuff like... Bronson and that FX series Taboo, which I never actually watched, but it looks like something I would enjoy. Oh, have you seen Warrior? He was also really good in that film. <clears throat> I have not, I, and I know I need to. So many people have wa- have recommended that to me. We also have another. We have another uh, film of his on our list. I wasn't sure if I was going to keep it. Called This Means War. It's the only chick flick I've ever seen him in. And it's him, Reese Witherspoon, and Chris Pine. And it's actually a good movie. Um, yeah, I the thing I love about him, right? So we've talked about this with actors before. Ones that tend to do a very similar role. Like, that was the issue I thought I had with uh, Emma Stone. Tom Hardy mm-hmm. blends into everything he does. Like, half the time, unless I go knowing he's in the film... I just discover it, and it takes me a while to figure out it's actually him. Yeah. Um, same can be said for Gary Oldman at times. Yes. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I I know people were shocked to learn that he was in Hannibal. Gary Oldman, that is not Tom Hardy. Oh. Yeah, because he went because uh, unless you saw the theater. I mean, saw the movie in theaters opening weekend. Uh, you will now you will see Gary Oldman is credited as Mason Verger and Hannibal, but he whenever the movie was released, he wasn't. And I I think there was some behind the scenes drama, and he was like, "We'll just take my name off of it." And, but I liked the air of mystery that it added to that movie. That was just uh, that I feel was like we need to talk. Yeah, I do feel like one day we need to talk about Hannibal, just so I can, you know, 
have a therapy session and get <laughs> that movie. That episode is going to be like everything wrong with Hannibal. <laughs> well, technically, we could start. We could talk about Silence, uh, Silence in the Lambs because um, really, she qualifies as a strong leading female. It does. You know, I you're talking about one of my absolute favorite movies there, and. <laughs> Absolutely, would be down to talk Silence of the Lambs. The only thing is, it does lead into Hannibal, the, the movie, which is a letdown from the book that I read, which was also kind of a letdown. <laughs> so, spoiler alert. Even though I do kind of have this weird affinity for um, those two films. Although, and I guess for a manly movie of the month, we can do Manhunter, which is based on Red Dragon, which is the first book. Okay. Yeah. And so, <laughs> coming twenty twenty two because we kind of got this year planned. Back to the uh, the movie with Kate. No, yeah, yeah. Back to Forrest's character. No, I distinctly remember sitting. I distinctly remember sitting there watching the movie for the first time, and that scene happens where he gets his throat sliced by the two guys from Chicago, and I mm-hmm. I just sat there and I went, "There is no way." There is no way I came to see this movie for them to kill Tom Hardy halfway through the movie. And I'm just sitting like there watching going... I was like, that did not just happen. Yeah. I was like, how the hell do you survive that? Right. Like, I know there's, there was like, you know... I know it was cold and that probably helped maybe a little bit. And I know he was probably, you know... You know, pressing down on the wound. But at the same point, I'm like... like was the state of medical care in that in early 1930s in you know in the friggin mountains of Virginia? But it fed like, that how narrative, do you that? right? It fed that narrative that the Bondurants were immortal, which I think is I think that's one of the funniest parts. Where towards the end of the movie, and he's getting ready to leave to go chase after Jack, and mm-hmm. uh, Maggie gets mad at him, and she said, "I'm not going to come back to find you," you know, lying in a pool of blood again. And he's like, "Wait, I thought I walked." She's like, "Really?" It. it... Yeah. Because I honestly <laughs> think they believed their own legend. Yeah. Well, and you know. What is, what is the quote about, you know, if the legends better print the legend or something? So, um, this film was written by Nick Cave, who's one of my favorite singers. Um, which, this is actually his third uh, film, but it could have been his fourth. Uh, Nick was hired to write Gladiator 2. Oh. Yeah. Which, you, you reacted in a way that most people did not react whenever I say that sentence because they're like, wait, what? Because <laughs> Maximus was the main character in Gladiator 2. Um, but, you know, that's what happens whenever you make a, a film that makes a shitload of money for a studio and then wins all the Oscars. They're going to come to you and be like, hey, do that again. Um, and what's right. interesting about... And Nick Cave's script is out there. If you go to any of the, uh, um, I don't know if there are as many as there used to be, but back in the early days of the internet, there were tons of websites where you could get screenplays, which were, a lot of them were like either the shooting draft or a revised draft or 
my favorite unproduced screenplays. Um, once upon a time, you could get Guillermo del Toro's uh, Nightmare on Elm Street script. You could get, and Gladiator 2 was, oh, you could get the original Pretty Woman script called uh, $3,000, which was not a romantic comedy, and it was actually more about the dark side of prostitution, but they cast Julia Roberts and all that shit went out the window. <clears throat> but um, Gladiator 2 is out there. Um, I have a copy. I was going to read it in preparation for this episode, and then I remembered I never made it through the script the first time um, because it is basically like reading someone's fever dream. But what everyone talks about who um, has read it, and this script is covered in great detail by the podcast, uh, How Did This Not Get Made? Uh, They did a fantastic episode about it. Um, But everyone likes to talk about the last two pages, which is basically... Maximus becoming immortal, and you see him through the ages, ending uh, with him as a general in the Pentagon. And it was Russell Crowe who hired this man to write the script that turned it down. And that's why it never happened, because everyone was on board for this. But um, Nick Cave actually appeared in... uh, one of our earlier episodes, Scream, he, his song Red Right Hand, which is one of my favorites, uh, was in that movie. And terrible re- remixes and uh, updates were done for the sequels, I guess, because they paid. But uh, Nick Cave and John Hilko, they're both Australians, so they worked together. John shot a lot of uh, his music videos. In fact, John Hilko's first credit as a director was uh, for an NXS video. Oh. So, yeah. But well, I mean... One, oh, go ahead. Uh, but one thing I love about Nick Cave, is besides, you know, his voice and, you know, his music, and that kind of extends into the, what he writes, is he... Like, I'm not... I know it sounds weird to say that you like really violent movies, but he just writes them so well. Like, um, if you, anything Nick Cave wrote, if it was committed to film, I was going to go watch it regardless. And this yeah, is maybe I, the most Hollywood thing he's written. Honestly, I think this is a pretty close to perfectly written film. I mean, people can feel feel free to disagree with me. That's fine. I find very little flaw in the writing of this film, and mm. then the casting of this film. I mean, I everything about it was pretty perfectly executed. Also, I have to say, I feel like this entire movie can be summed up for me in four words. Have you met Howard? (laughs) (laughs) Not only is that one of my favorite lines in the movie, but actually, uh, I, I think Jason Clark is actually kind of underrated. I agree. He's one of those guys that he keeps popping up in things, and you're like, he should be bigger than what he is. Um, right. He's never like, like a main, main, main character. I mean, sometimes he is, and he was a he's a decent part in Zero Dark Thirty, his other movie he did with Jessica Chastain, but yeah. he's always really good. Yeah, and he was in one of the uh, new Planet of the Apes films, where he was he was the human lead. I think it was 
Rise. No, oh, what, whatever Rocky. the second one is. Uh-huh. Is James Franco, another perfect uh, off-screen actor, um, <laughs> was in the first one. <laughs> People are terrible. <laughs> Sometimes they make good movies. Yeah, so, I mean, and he does a great job in this movie with a, essentially kind of a... Of all three of the brothers, Howard is the least focused on. Yeah. But, I mean, he has his moments. So, uh, like you said, you know, have you met Howard? And he comes out and beats the shit out of those guys. <laughs> and, but, I mean, but, yeah, he's not a name like Tom Hardy or Sh- Shia LaBeouf, but he's still, you know, a good actor, so he you know, made something of his character. It's just he's not kind of the A-list or he should be. Right. And it's it's kind of nice. Like, what I liked about the dynamic they created with his characters is Tom Hardy didn't have to, like, I shouldn't, Tom Hardy did. Forrest didn't have to necessarily do anything, right? Like, he no. did a lot with saying very, very little. Yeah. Well, okay, I kind of, all right, go with me on this, because you've at least seen the first one, the first Godfather. Uh-huh, I have. Okay, Shia is Fredo, and Howard is Sonny, and Forrest is Michael. Okay. I That, that was, even though... In the scheme of things, wh- wh- whoever the older brother is should have been Sonny, uh, and Shia LaBeouf, him being the youngest, and the and you know should be Michael. But in terms of what they do and the and how they use their power, like they both Howard and Forrest have a little bit of Sonny in them because they both are hot tempered and react violently. But Forrest has a sometimes has the cooler head. About things. Yeah. And is a little bit more calculating than Howard. So that's why I draw those comparisons. And then uh, Shia LaBeouf is Jack. I'm not necessarily uh, saying he's, you know, totally like Fredo, but he's the runt and he's the one you kind of have to look after. Even though he wants to be the big, bigger shot than what he is see all of Godfather 2. <laughs> yes, and is way, way over-ambitious. But, you know, it's, yeah. it's interesting, too, because you talk about them making violent movies, and, and mm-hmm. it's not that this movie wasn't violent, but maybe I've just seen too many, Quarant- too many Quentin Tarantino films. I don't think it was overly gratuitous, and I think all the violence really served a purpose. Well, here, here's the thing. I think some of the violence actually you know, in this film got to me and kind of the, oh, that's brutal. See, Tarantino's violence is cartoonish by design. It's designed to be over the top, so you can't take it as seriously. Like, this is real violence. Like, whenever he's beating the shit out of anyone with those brass knuckles, like, I feel those punches, you know. Or when they tarred so, and feathered the guy. Okay, so there earlier, whenever I was talking about the whipping scene, in um, the proposition, the tar and feather 
and whenever he showed up on and whenever he was left on their doorstep after being tarred and feathered, that was the closest this movie came to replicating that level of holy that that kind of holy shit moment that I had multiple times in the proposition. It, yeah, it was it was pretty uh yeah. It was pretty intense. Yeah. Uh and I kind of like because uh, I love the music in this film and the tarring and feathering begins during this montage scene with like this happy happy upbeat music so it almost feels like this is supposed to be funny and then finally the music kind of fades out and you're like no this is this is not funny um it's the only time i've ever seen tarring and feathering done on screen well it's one of two times i've seen it done not for laughs because it's kind of been descended into a joke usually in cartoons the other time was um the john adams miniseries on hbo but yeah. this was definitely the most intense. And apparently you can survive that. Because <laughs> after that scene, I was just like Googling, can you survive being tarred and feathered? <laughs> apparently, because what made it even worse was the body moving a little bit. But I mean, yeah. like I said, though, I think it was all, I mean, it all served a purpose, right? And, mm. um, you know, I didn't mind any of the scenes where he was beating people up because not only was it kind of fun to watch, but any of the people he attacked generally deserved it, right? Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, they were either messing with the family or they were, you know. Messing with Maggie. Yeah. You know, it's, it's the end of Godfather 1, you know. <laughs> all, all we need is, like, you know, them just to be, you know, so, you know someone having, having a christening. Maybe Shia LaBeouf going off to um, Bertha's ch- church and just... Attending service. Meanwhile, Howard and Forrest are settling all the scores. Yeah, I'm, I'm comparing this a lot to Godfather tonight, apparently. Hey, that's a compliment. Which, yeah. you know, okay, so I have to say, which is nice, because this, this movie gives the best of both worlds. It's a great action. You know, it's got, it's got uh, really good acting, really good cast, mm-hmm. a good amount of action to keep you invested, but it also has a love story. So it's got yeah. all the things. And go. It's kind plus, of nice. <laughs> yeah. Plus, and it's got had... a really great soundtrack. I mean, that uh, too. I I didn't pick up on it the first time I watched it, but when we were getting ready for this episode, I I looked up and I was like, well, I know Nick Cave probably did the music, but I didn't know it was like this epic album where people like Mark Lanigan from Screaming Trees, Nick Cave, Ralph Stanley. And Willie Nelson and um, um, oh god, I'm, like just all these people got together to just do like old kind of folk music, but like updated, and it it just was like this cherry on top of an already great movie. They used they used the soundtrack and the music so well to create, and mm. I. I think it's one of those things because they they knew how to they knew how to create so much with that empty space. Remember when we were talking mm-hmm. about um, whatever happened to Baby Jane, and I complained I complained about all that like dead space. Oh, I haven't forgotten you complaining about that movie. <laughs> right, even though even though it was a good movie, this movie knew what to do with that dead space. And one of the one of the places I saw it that I really loved. 
So undeniably, I thought Tom Hardy and Jessica Chastain, who played Maggie, who's a girl that came to, she moved from Chicago, was looking for a place to start over, and she started to work at the bar, and she, we, we get the impression she used to be a stripper in Chicago. Well, um, her and Tom Hardy, I thought they had really, really good chemistry, and what the director did with it that I really liked is he used a lot of nonverbal contact and body language between the two of them to kind of telegraph what was going on, which I really, really liked because I mean, half of Forrest's lines was just grunting. Yeah. Uh, I think whenever I checked in that I was watching this movie on Facebook, someone said, it's a great movie, except you can't understand a single word Tom Hardy says. <laughs> Which like, I disagree I understood with. Him. Yeah, I understood him perfectly. I did too. But I think this is kind of accentuated. So this is like one of my favorite stories from, you know, apart from the real life aspect of it, about this movie. Um, I remember reading an article back near when I first saw the movie, and I tried to find the same thing, but I can only confirm part of the story. I couldn't confirm the whole thing. I remember reading that Jessica Chastain was a little nervous about doing the nudity and the sex scene. So um, what made her feel more comfortable was getting to know Tom Hardy really well. They used to play Scrabble mm-hmm. all the time on the set together. The only part of the story I could actually confirm is that they did play Scrabble a lot on the set together. And actually, they get interviewed because saying that Shia LaBeouf was a little bit jealous. And he used to joke with her about it. He's like, well, you always take Tom's side. He said they even adopted a stray dog together. He said we had a set dog because of the two of them. Wow. (laughs) Which she's one of my favorite actresses. And I think she did a phenomenal job in this movie. Okay, I, I, I gotta ask, uh, where is the evolution of, uh, like, what is the spark that made her your favorite? Trying like, to remember. Because I, I, I like her, but I, I, you know, I just, she's not my favorite, but I, I do really like her. I think the first movie I ever saw her in was The Help. I'm not 100% sure. And her character is my favorite character in that whole movie. Okay. I mean, she's. I, I really loved her in The Help. And then I saw her, uh, I want to say I saw her in Lawless, and then I saw her in Zero Dark Thirty, and then I saw her in Molly's Game, which is also really great. I, I don't know if we've talked about it much, but I'm really harsh and really picky when it comes to female actresses. I don't know what it is. I don't know why, but I really am. I... I like less female female actors than I do men and so I think it just kind of there there's usually one or or two that'll just stick out to me and she's one of them I don't really have a reason beyond I think she's really good and I liked a lot of the roles that she's played so kind of the direct opposite of my probably irrational dislike of Katherine Heigl Right. It's like the it's like the opposite of that. It's like the opposite of my irrational hate for Marion Cotillard, which is entirely based in the characters she's played. Like every time I've seen her, she's always like a home wrecker. And I just I can't. I can I cannot stand her. I want to find the Marion Cotillard film that you're gonna like. And I don't know what that is, and I just I just know in my heart of hearts 
it's not going to be in English. Like, yeah. Like, like it's going to be some Levine Rose shit. <laughs> my only two, I think my only two uh, introductions to her were in Inception, where she was absolutely crazy. And in Batman, where she was evil and she kept him from Catwoman. Okay, so I'm, I'm going to start going on the hunt for some roles and make you watch some of her stuff. Okay. That is a little bit on the irrational side. Okay, so the guy that hates Catherine Heigl for no reason. I was going to say, said said the man that devised a plan and is now regretting said plan in trying to find copies of all these movies to review every Catherine Heigl film. We hit a problem on film number two. Okay, so got to talk about easily one of the more fucked up but funny scenes whenever um, Charlie Rakes gets a uh, present sent to him. Oh, God. So, So, the entire purpose of Gary Oldman's character is summed up whenever Jack decides to go off on his own to sell uh, some moonshine and make some money. Oldman gives Shia LaBeouf the address where he can find the guys that cut Forrest's throat. And Forrest and Howard run off, and when Jack gets there, they have castrated the two guys and send Charlie Rakes, who had hired them to attack Forrest uh, sent him, him their balls as a message. As you do. As you, oh, yeah. I, I, I completely. I'm like, yeah, that's probably deserved. <laughs> Nobody is feeling bad for him in this movie. It's it yeah. just you're not, and he only gets worse as the movie goes throughout. Mm-hmm. I, I guess we should. I guess we should talk a little bit about cricket. Um. Okay, played by Dane DeHaan, who is was almost a thing because he started popping up and everything left and right. And the only thing I can name off the top of my head that he was in was our Metallica did a live concert film that also had like a narrative story running through it because it was done in 3D. So there would be these sequences where you're hearing Metallica play. The movie's called Through the Never. And Dane DeHaan is just like, I can't remember if he was like a fan or a roadie that was sent to go retrieve something for the band. And the entire thing was like his journey back to the, um, to the Metallica concert. But on his way, he basically goes through this like weird post-apocalyptic, like gang war (laughs) kind of thing is one of the weirdest things I've ever seen. (laughs) But you know, I mean, the music was great, but, you know. And also, um, were, were you there for the infamous A Cure for Wellness screening? Or was that everyone else in our friends group? Oh, no. I was there. Okay. He was the lead in uh, A Cure for Wellness. Yeah. I, okay. I've, I, I can never I've remember. Something, yeah, I think I've seen him in something else, too. But I can't think he's, of what it is. 
He's been. I mean, he was uh, the Green Goblin in that uh, in the Amazing Spider-Man Two, the uh, Andrew Garfield one. Uh, he was in Lincoln. He's been. In, he, oh, he's apparently in True Blood. He's been in a lot of things. It's just you know, it was like they were trying really hard to make him a thing, and he he just never was the thing. Yeah, uh, I. I really liked his character. You know, for being a minor character, he he kind of stood out. The the mm-hmm. thing that made me sad about it is I don't know how you feel, but it was not a it was not a shock to me that he died. Like I no. I remember getting introduced to that character and thinking, well, shit, he's gonna die. Yeah, because he's too good of like a person. And... Yeah, he's too pure. And in in movies like this, it's kind of like with The Walking Dead, right? The moral conscience has to die. Yeah. And, you know, all, all he is was a dumb kid, you know, in the wrong place at the wrong time, you know. And it was, but it was also the spark to finally get Forrest on board with Jack being part of this frontier retribution that clearly needed to be dealt Right, because he was not he was not on board the whole time, and mm-hmm. but I you know it makes sense right that they weren't gonna take I don't know what the age difference is right the movie doesn't make it very clear but they weren't gonna take Jack seriously I mean no. he never really do he'd never really done anything to make them think that he was kind of a a goof which okay by the way. Something I think is a little bit of a flaw in this movie that I didn't notice until this viewing of it. Mm-hmm. So when um, when Jack decides he's going to go to church and he's taking the jar of moonshine and he actually gets to the church, I'm sorry, he drank an entire sh- a jar of moonshine. I'm fairly convinced he's dead and he's a ghost the entire movie because there's no way he does he survives that. You gotta remember this move. This family has been <laughs> has been making moonshine for a while now it they're they probably need to drink a jar a day just to survive i'm sorry is his blood part moonshine because at the very least i think he should be on the floor incapable of moving are we basing this on the fact that uh two halloweens ago we had a small taste of moonshine and both of us were done for the evening um no, I'm basing it on generally what moonshine is is somewhere between <laughs> ninety and a hundred percent alcohol. You might as well be drinking rubbing alcohol. Yeah, well, no, you're they're drinking ethanol, which is something you put in your car to make it go, <laughs> as they do in this movie. Which I think is smart. And I asked my dad, um, I asked my dad if it would work, and he said it's possible that it could work. Which, right, that was rather convenient. I loved how uh, that sort of worked out when they're trying to cross, when Jack and Cricket are trying to cross the border after stealing all of his brother's moonshine to go sell it to um, Floyd Floyd Banner. Banner. And they run out of gas. And how convenient they have. So, but whenever they do get there, I I love the, part where uh, Oldman's doing the purity test, basically, and he just lights it on fire and just keeps burning, and he's like, 
I'm yep. impressed. <laughs> yeah. See, he so. put an entire jar of that into his body. People from that era and that area are a little bit harder than us. Um, everyone, w- when Tiger King became a thing, everyone's like, okay, if you're watching that, you should go watch uh, The Wild and Wonderful Whites of uh, West Virginia. <laughs> and, oh, Lord. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, you know what, though? He made it to church, which I'll have to say is maybe one of the only flaws. <laughs> not flaws, but I thought it was you know, a cliche they decide to do with this movie is that, of course, mm. he had to, which, I mean, I guess it's based on a true story, um, yeah. but of course he had well, to fall for the preacher's daughter. Yeah, whose name is Bertha, who, this may be the, I'm sorry, I'm going to be a little mis- misogynistic here, but it's true. She may be the only hot Bertha ever to exist. Oh, no, I agree with you. Yeah. <laughs> those like Bertha is one of those unfortunate names that people get get stuck with and they tend to look like a Bertha. <laughs> like, like you're which picturing ha- something in your head. <laughs> which says something about how like little exposition there is in this film because I don't remember knowing that her name is Bertha. It, it's said, but um, yeah. She, she's just, a, I mean, she is just a minor character. Also, her name probably just got in there because you know it's you know history this happened right and i'm just glad look i was just glad i think she did i think she did a great job and i'm just glad to see Mm. her in something after that terrible alice in wonderland movie so i i never saw that but i think this is i've only seen her in two movies that i can confirm the other one was a movie called stoker which was um written by uh the guy that was in prison break and directed by Park Chan-wook, who's a South Korean director who made, like, uh, the Vengeance trilogy of Old Boy and Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance. And uh, he made a vampire movie called Thirst. And this is, like, his English-language debut. And it was um, Mia Wasikowska and uh, Nicole Kidman. It was, a, it was a strange movie. It was I, I think I remember liking it. I also haven't seen it since, you know... 2012. But that's the thing, too, right? Like, they... Part of what makes this movie so good is that there's... There's nothing lacking in the way of... They even treat their... Supporting characters with you... All of So as much as I go, remember when we talked about stop loss, I had an issue with the accents. And the reason mm. is, I don't think there's an excuse for it. Tom Hardy is British British. And oh, he did he did a phenomenal yeah. southern accent. I mean, I yeah. couldn't find any flaw in what he did. Yeah. By the way, looking up um, Mia Wasikowska, I've seen two other movies that she was in. Oh. Yeah, she was in, uh, not only was she in Stoker, but she was in uh, another vampire movie called Only Lovers Left Alive. And she was in maybe the most disappointing Guillermo del Toro movie um, to date, which was Crimson Peak. Oh. Yeah. Which was a movie I that I saw. I didn't see that, but. Yeah, uh, I saw it opening night and I declared it just okay. So that tells you how good of a 
director del toro is whenever your worst film is still better than a lot of people <laughs> best right. film. and that's to my point she's australian and yeah. <laughs> tom hardy's so british. are most of the people involved with this production right and um gary oldman's british so i've come to the conclusion that either i mean they just did a really good job making sure that these actors actors did not overdo their southern accent and that they did it correctly mm-hmm. or british people just do things better um there it is a common trope i mean i don't know that trope's not the right word but it is a common belief that english irish and australian and new zealand Actors can do an American accent a whole hell of a lot better than we can do their accents. And even then, we can do our, our own accents that are not our own. Yeah. Well, that's and, when we're trying to place it in a specific time or place when the original um, Hollywood accent was called Mid Atlantic, which Mid Atlantic meaning Atlantic Ocean because there's nothing there. So it's a nothing accent. Yeah, I heard a yeah. I heard a dialect coach talk about this one time that works mm. with uh, that works with actors in Hollywood, and I could be completely off about this, but this is what I remember. So no one like roast me uh, if this is the case, but I remember that I remember hearing that the reason that that was is because when they teach British actors or English or Irish to speak with an American accent, they're teaching them to say things phonetically. Mm-hmm. Um, it's simpler, right? The way, we, the way we elongate some of the things that we say, she considered them to be phonetically correct, mm-hmm. which I think some people are going to disagree with, but she said it actually makes it easier. Whereas, and, and she, she would tell people, she's like, I don't necessarily like trying to be a dialect coach for Americans because it's just more difficult for that reason. Yeah. They're just harder to train. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, um, the incredibly British Hugh Laurie got one over on... All right, I'm adding him to the drinking list. Brian Singer, every time I bring him up, take a drink. But whenever uh, Brian Singer was putting together the house... He saw Hugh Laurie's audition tape, and he's like, no, that's what I want, someone American like him. It's like, Hugh Laurie is the most British person on the planet. (laughs) Right. I didn't know Christian Bale was Welsh for the longest time, because I had only ever seen him in movies where he had an American accent. Yeah. Well, and Christian Bale, I think, has even said, I've played so many different characters with so many different voices, I don't even know what my own accent sounds like anymore. (laughs) And I think that happened to one of the Nolan brothers, not Christopher, but I think Jonathan Nolan has spent so much time in America, he just has an American accent now. Yeah, probably. Well, and speaking of accents, too, was it just me, or did Guy Pierce not have a northern accent at all? He, I think he was trying to go for, like, a 30s gangster-type voice, you know. Yeah, I think he was trying for like maybe Midwest. So I, I just you know, no matter what, he just sounded like evil, even though he was a lawman. He was evil. 
So Arr. one of the things that occurred to me in this movie, and I do have to, <laughs> I do have to not. It's not really ask you about it, but I wondered if you thought the same thing I did. So in the scene where, um, in the scene where Jack is following uh, Forrest and Howard, because mm-hmm. he finds out that Forrest and Howard went after the guys that slashed Forrest's neck without him. Mm-hmm. So he gets in his truck and goes after. He sees that topless woman running from the house towards him in the headlights. And I thought, man, she literally got paid to just run topless, uh, screaming towards the headlight. And I wonder if she felt like every 80s extra in a slasher film. I'm going to be perfectly honest. I don't remember her being topless. I just remember hearing the scream and knowing that... um, even Stevens was about to get a Ziploc bag full of balls. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she, I'm sorry she was not my focal point, but I mean, you gotta remember there was also a, a woman that was paid to basically sit there naked on Guy Pierce's bed uh, waiting for the ball delivery scene, too. So It's true. Yeah. But, I, mean, I think you know- that... I think things like that, as long as everything is handled with a degree of taste and making sure the actress is comfortable, then it's fine. Which I generally, I mean, I generally think it is. And I have to, I mean, honestly, it's not, it's not the worst thing in the world, right? I remember thinking during Rock of Ages, the, the, one of the women in the bar, she literally got paid just to make out with Tom Cruise. Like, that was her only job is she got paid to make out with Tom Cruise. Yeah. There are literal worse jobs, including jobs working for Tom Cruise. <laughs> <laughs> That's mean. I, <laughs> but it is. It. Yeah. Goddamn money. Motherfucker. Yeah, I'll take care of this. Hey, you, come on out. You don't want to do this. Why don't you put that knife away and take you and your friends on home? I listened to him if I was you. You the boss? You just sold a load of those dingies in there, didn't you? You hand over that cash or I'm gonna cut some daylight into you. Oh, listen here, mister. We got no way to understand this world. We got about as much sense of it as bird flying in the sky. There's a lot that, that bird don't know. And we don't change the fact that the world is happening to him all the same. What I'm trying to say is, is that the course you like, you know, it is changing. You don't even see it. What are you talking about? Damn. Go. Yep. That's what he's talking about. So what did you like about this film? Oh. (laughs) Like... I don't know if there's anything that um, we haven't already covered, but I mean, I just I, I like what what this film that, um, is, especially whenever I started viewing it as kind of a movie about organized crime and not so much like a. I think the first time I watched it, I watched it as like almost a western, since it was, you know, kind of in the country and. You know, early 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 twentieth century. So uh, this time, kind of putting it in the same 
playing field as like Godfather and Goodfellas and Scarface, stuff like that. I kind of got a whole different take on it this time. And I think I kind of enjoyed it a lot more than I did even the first time. Oh, so, that's yeah. good. So I, whenever I call it like a hillbilly gangster film, it's really exactly that because, you know, these are, you know, ethical, ethically gray people com- committing crimes, but at the same time, they're not bad people. They're just who they are. So I kind of like that. I mean... And we've covered, I mean, we've talked about the writing in this film. The, I love the, the look of this film. Uh, I think it's well shot. I think the music's great. So um, I don't think there's any gonna, really anything left for me to talk about because it's not going to be a mystery whenever you ask me the, the big, big question. <laughs> so what about you? So there's a couple things I liked about the film. Um, I really, I like the relationships built in this film. I really like the relationship between Jack and Cricket. Um, and because, you know, his brothers don't respect him and Cricket does, which I think yeah. kind of built a nice dynamic. And I also really like the relationship between um, Forrest and Maggie. Um, I, I like how they built that relationship from the start. You know, she was really, she was really good for him. Yeah. And I think he was good for her, too, but... Yeah. Oh, I did think of something. I I do like the end of the movie where um, even the the law people decide to turn on Charlie Rakes and let, basically, the Bondurants get revenge. Like, they just turn a blind eye, even though, like, ten minutes ago, they were all literally shooting at each other. <laughs> Right, because nobody liked Rakes. That was the one thing they could all agree on. He yeah. said um, the, I don't know if it was a stat, but Mason Wardell, I don't know if he was, was he governor, mayor? Um, um, I don't know, but even he yeah. told Rakes at the beginning, yeah. you know, I don't like you much. Yeah, uh, he was just like a DA. Okay. Um, yeah, and... Guy Pierce is incredibly detestable from the moment you see them to the time he's finally dead. <laughs> right. Yeah. Which is why which is why Maggie's concern was warranted. And yeah. the great thing about like their chemistry and the way their relationship was written was um it led up to that like last scene between them, which I really love, where mm. she she finally tells Forrest that she came back and got him and brought him to the hospital after those guys um, mm-hmm. sliced her neck. And uh, what I think is kind of great about that scene is she's trying to stop him from following Jack and getting killed with the only thing she knows how to do. And that's explained to him that he's not, you know, immortal. Mm-hmm. And it ends up he figures out she came back and the guys were still there. So... Yeah. I, what's your take on it? Do you think he knew that she was raped? Because I think it's uh, obvious. Yeah, it's a hundred percent obvious. Uh, bouncing off of that, uh, getting back into the legend of the Bondurants, I love uh, at the end of the the deal between Jack and Floyd Banner when uh, Gummy Walsh, who's played by Noah Taylor, who's also very Australian. Um, He's just talking about, about, oh, yeah, his brother is the one that walked walked to the hospital with his head clean, 
cut clean off. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then I love Gary Oldman like hitting him in the, the head the with a shovel. shovel. Um, and the other thing I love is the real history behind this movie and the real history yeah. behind the story. Not just that like Okay, so it does create kind of an interesting timing thing cuz the way the movie ends, they, you know, they all got married and they come back together. Mm-hmm. Um, and they kind of show Forrest going off being drunk and falling into a lake and he's like well in the end it was the pneumonia that got him so in the real life in the book Forrest didn't die till about 30 years after this happened yeah. and all this yeah and they kind of portrayed it like he died after that night but um, even all the kids they depicted in the in, at the end would have been grown yeah by the time, but it was an accident. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know the specifics, but it was an accident. Um, however, it happened, and I also love, like, like I said, I love the history behind it because I find it fascinating the connection with prohibition because it's the one thing um, people now use to advocate for the decriminalization of marijuana because mm-hmm. it was, you know, it was obvious that prohibition did not work. No, like it only created no, this massive underground uh, yeah. business. Yeah. So I took it off the schedule but I'm, uh, for this year for mainly the movie of the month. But ne- next year we're definitely going to be doing The Untouchables, which is another great prohibition story. And um, slightly less historically accurate, um, as in to say there is a city called Chicago and there was a man named Al Capone. <laughs> <laughs> and everything else is. Oh, and there was a, a man named uh, Elliot Ness that worked for the Treasury Department. Everything else is incredibly suspect. <laughs> but God, is that movie quotable? <laughs> so, John, uh, what did you not like about this movie? You know, the entire time you've been talking, I've been thinking about that question, knowing it was coming up. And even though I'm, when I rated this movie on Letterboxd, I didn't give it a perfect rating. But at the same time, I'm like, I don't know why this isn't perfect, but there's just something, this slightly unexplainable thing that keeps me from, you know, giving it the same rating I gave fucking Sleepaway Camp drink. Um, but I really don't have anything that's sucked. Um, Maybe part of the middle is a little on the slow side at times, but I mean, I I've pretty note, much sh- showed my hands at this point. I'm taking applications for a co-host who does not rate the uh, dumpster fire of a movie that is Sleepaway Camp the same as this brilliant work of art. All right, I think it's a little bit fair, a, a little bit unfair. <laughs> That you call Sleepaway Camp a dumpster fire and haven't seen Sleepaway Camp 3, which is a literal dumpster fire. So, And it's still not the worst Sleepaway Camp film. Fair point. No, I actually did have fun watching Sleepaway yeah. Camp. No. I, whenever, um, whenever well, The difference between Sleepaway Camp and this is Sleepaway Camp is just some dumb nonsense I'm going to turn on to... You know, it's just background noise at this point. I've seen it so many times. 
it's not something that I'm going to sit there and try to have more of a critical eye on it because if I had, took a critical eye to sleepaway camp, there would be nothing left. <laughs> and I'd say that as a as the defender of that movie. <laughs> so I cannot, I really cannot judge you because could I have watched anything last night? Yes, did I sit and watch Twilight Eclipse for maybe the 1200th time? Also, yes. So, you know, who's to judge at this point? Yeah, I guess I can't judge the Twilight thing. (laughs) You know, know, it's their fault for running the series so (laughs) often. Yeah, it's it's HBO's fault. You know, they have award-winning series award-winning movies, like an entire section of Studio Ghibli movies, which are all awesome. I have, as it has been explained to me multiple times, and one day I'm going to go through them all, I swear. And they have a TCM library of international classics from multiple decades. But you chose Eclipse. Which uh, was the last Twilight movie I saw in the theaters. And wait... Is that the second one, or is that the third, third. one? Okay, third. I remember actually kind of thinking that one wasn't compl- uh, completely terrible. Uh, even it's though my I th- favorite. Um, you know, I don't... We're never going to touch on Twilight on this show, just because it's been examined to death. But, I will say, I don't think Twilight is the worst movie ever made. I don't think it's the best movie ever made. I think it's the actual definition of the middle of the road. I kind of agree. Although I will have to say uh, on watching this, on watching it last night, I noticed that, you know, it's not a shock, right? Like the acting's not phenomenal, but I did not notice the gap as severely as um, I had before. Now, don't get me wrong. Uh, Okay. I'm not the biggest Kristen Stewart fan. I'm, I'm really not. Um, for a lot of reasons, but a lot of the things she does bug me, and I don't think she was necessarily the best character, and because she wasn't, her heart didn't seem to be in it, Twilight was not her best acting role. Okay, so this is something that I'm definitely going to be bringing up on um, the Boogie Nights episode, because this is my Mark Wahlberg theory, because Mark Wahlberg and Kristen Stewart and Robert Pattinson are all three fantastic actors. And all three of them have films that prove it. And I, you know, and I could go on and on about all of them. But the thing about it is, is of course the acting is showing that their heart isn't into it because no one wanted to be there on that because no one hates Twilight more in this world. It's than perhaps Robert Pattinson, Kristen Stewart, and it is a neck and neck contest on which one that is. And I understand that. Yeah. But, Take Marky Mark, um, you know, love Boogie Nights, love him in The Departed, love, I love Patriot Day. That movie's, like, kind of underrated. Um, but uh, in, in Fear, um, one of his early roles, he was absolutely terrifying. But then you have him in stuff like The Happening, which he is terrible. And I think that with actors like Marky Mark and, by extension, Christian Stewart and 
Robert Pattinson is their performance is based on how much they give a shit to be there. If it's a paycheck role, yeah, they're not they're not going to be very good. But if it's something their heart is truly in and they want to be there, like working with Scorsese or you know, like Robert Pattinson has been doing with um, you know his like post Twilight run of like indie films where he's been working on his craft or like when Kristen Stewart's like in the runaways or um, Adventureland or some of the stuff that she's been doing in the indie circuit, you can tell when their heart is in it. So. Right. And I just think it was kind of funny because I didn't, I didn't notice the gap until this viewing of it. Cause when I would watch mm-hmm. a scene with, um, when I would watch a scene with Kristen Stewart and Taylor Lautner, one of the things that always bugged me about the film is that it was obvious to me, despite the fact that she was, which should have been some suggestion of where her head was at, mm-hmm. that she was dating Robert Pattinson at the time. She had far more on-screen chemistry with Taylor Lautner than she did with Robert Pattinson. Um, yeah. But they would act in a, in a scene together, and the acting was kind of on an even playing field. I don't know if they were feeding off each other or what the deal was, but it was kind of an even playing field. Mm-hmm. It wasn't necessarily the first movie because that's by far the worst. And then they got a new director and the films got better. Each movie he improves, but Robert Pattinson, and even in a movie he doesn't care about is a step above most of the cast in his, in his quality of work. Like yeah, just, and, in, just in what he brought to a role, he, mm-hmm didn't care about that much. I mean, I can see that. And I, and I think that's part of why I've been so attracted to, even though I haven't seen everything he's done, but so attracted to his and Kristen's uh, post-Twilight career because it's been far more interesting than, you know, those films. And I think that's why I, whenever it was announced he was going to be the new Batman, I'm like, this is going to be amazing. Shut up, Internet. I am and so excited. That, and whenever that trailer tro- dropped, I was just <laughs> like, I am vindicated because this is exactly what I said was going to happen. I think it's going to be, I hope I'm not proven wrong. I think it's going to be excellent. And we are, we'll get to talk about this more because we are going to recover, we are going to cover Remember Me, which yeah. is one of my favorite films that he did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'll, I'll be honest, I don't know how m- much of his uh, post-Twilight career is necessarily up your alley because I'd loved, I would love to see you watch The Lighthouse. But at the same time, I also remember how you felt about what about Baby Jane and the Cure for Wellness and your love and your absolute love of an unclear ending. So I'm just like, I'm just gonna leave that on the shelf and not put this <laughs> on the plane on the table because I know how this is gonna go. But also, no. Well, I guess before I ask that question, do you have anything that you want to say sucks about this movie? No, I really don't have any complaints about this movie. I mean, I'm sure there's there's some things that could have been fixed about it, but I yeah. it's it's something I like to watch on a regular a regular basis and I I really don't. I can't think of any like major issue I had with the movie. All right, so just because we do it every week, Sammy, did you survive Lawless, the movie you picked? I did. No. <laughs> yes, I, I very am much survived for it. One. 
John, did you survive it? Oh, absolutely. Like, when you put it on the on the list, I was just like, all right, finally, I have a new... I hadn't seen this movie since theaters, so whenever you put it on the schedule, I was like, oh, good. I've been kind of wanting to revisit that film because I remember... Even though I hadn't seen it since theaters, there was something like, I didn't think it was perfect, and I don't know why. And watching it, again, it's like, I did bump it up from like a four star rating to a four and a half. It's just that half a star. I can't explain why it's not there. There's just something slightly off. But this is a near perfect film. And this is one that I may have to start upping my rewatches of. Mm-hmm. And, and I also didn't grumble about the length, which is under two hours. This movie was shorter than the rom-com we just reviewed. Yeah, I actually, I was surprised. <laughs> and had more going how- on. Right, I was surprised about how short it felt, and I will say this, okay, if I could find one thing that may be a little bit different is, especially since they had the time, they could have fleshed out the relationships a little bit more between, like, Jack and Bertha and uh, Forrest and Maggie. They could have done a little bit more, um, they could have built those a little bit more. Yeah, but... But they didn't need to, it wasn't that type of movie, and I don't think we missed anything because they didn't. Mm-mm. But that's the only thing I can really think of. Yeah, I was there going. Nick, Nick Cave isn't going to write a love story, even though he's written you know several love songs. But <clears throat> it's neither here nor there. <laughs> so what are we covering next week? Okay, so we're doing Black History Month, kind of, uh, and we're kicking it off with a film from the writer of the best Star Wars uh, movie, Lawrence Kasdan, starring Kevin Costner and Whitney Houston. We're doing The Bodyguard. All right. Yep. And is this, have you ever seen this one before? Or is this this your first time? I actually have seen The Bodyguard. Okay. All right, so so yeah, we'll but get I to find not... out. <laughs> Go I ahead. will not play my hand about uh, whether or not they survived, though. Yeah, we'll have to get to you guys. Will have to get to next week to find out if we will always love this film. <laughs> Do um, what's our next manly movie of the month? Because I believe February is your pick. Yes, and uh, I brought it up earlier. Uh, we're going to be talking about nineteen. 19- what? I personally think is the best film of 1997. I I know you may feel otherwise because that's the year your movie came out about the boat. Oh. Yeah. But this this is a movie that is that I can watch over and over and have watched over and over and is my prime go-to example on why Marky Mark is a great actor oh, and, why William right. H- and why William H. Macy is a great actor and Philip Seymour Hoffman and Julianne Moore and Heather Graham and Burt fucking Reynolds. We are doing Paul Thomas Anderson's Boogie Nights. Because John is intent on ruining Marky Mark for me. Uh, I am going to elevate Marky Mark for you because... <laughs> This this is my favorite performance of his because 
it shows he's capable of comedy, tragedy, and he he plays such a goof in this movie. But I I I think this is like an absolute masterpiece of cinema. Like, and I'm not saying that that in the sarcastic way or in the pretentious way. Like, this is genuinely one of my favorite films. <laughs> Well, I haven't seen it, so we'll be surprised whether or not I yeah. survive. But I, I try... almost want to watch it with you. <laughs> I tried to, um, I tried to uh, not play my hand on some of these, and I did a terrible job with Lawless because I'm pretty sure <laughs> I played my hand last episode. I... And when we get to when we get to my next pick, when we get to Goodwill Hunting, I'm mm-hmm. very excited to do that film, mostly because we will finally get to settle this. Uh, <laughs> Ben Affleck, Matt Damon fight. Um, we're 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 never going to settle that. You know, you realize that though. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm going to not play my hand on that movie. Yeah. Uh, spoiler alert: I absolutely survived next week because uh, this is my because the director of that film is my second favorite director of all time. <laughs> oh. Yeah. So. So we'll have to play, but that's coming at the end of next month. But we're getting to bodyguard uh next week and then uh we're actually going to have i, I changed up uh, my other pick for this month for next month um because we're going to do a film that neither of us have seen so all right yeah so but that'll be coming up in a couple of weeks until then um follow us on all the socials like and like and review us drop us an email at um surviving com. oh and you want to talk about the contest because I think you said you were going to extend it. Yeah, we are extending our giveaway one more week, but make sure to check a you know check out Facebook, Instagram for all the details on how to enter, and you can win our awesome movie giveaway basket. Yeah, and someone has to win it, otherwise I'm going to take it off the same basic hands. <laughs> all right. Well, as always, right. thank you for listening. All right, and th- Sammy, thank you for. Uh, putting Lawless on the schedule, and uh, I'm hoping you're saying the same thing at the end of next month with Boogie Nights. Tune in for when we definitely argue about why John is wrong, and regardless, I can confidently say Boogie Nights is not a better movie than Titanic. <clears throat> I think the internet's on my side on this one, but... Because <laughs> well, the internet has never been wrong. And. Uh, this is one of those instances where they're going to be right. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Bye, <Thanks>. everyone. <laughs>
right now. Yeah, snow down.